Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. As we go through life, our faith will be challenged. Disappointments, delays, detours, and distance can make you wonder if the things God has promised you will come true. Today we'll look at Caleb and see how he held on to his faith in the midst of adversity. And now here is part one of Cheryl's message titled, Waiting on the Promises of God. So I want you to think for a second, what are the challenges to your faith? Maybe you've got a promise. It says in Proverbs, a promise deferred or put off makes the heart sick. Maybe you had a promise, but because of disappointments, you've kind of given up on that promise. You've forgotten. You've kind of relegated it to the It's never going to happen, pile. When things don't go the way you hoped or you thought or you expected or you wanted them to go, you start to think, well, maybe that wasn't a promise at all. And and often people are disappointed and, and they even give up on their faith in the Lord when things don't go the way they thought they should go. I was reading an article on Ted Turner that when he was a little boy, he claimed to have faith in the Lord. But his sister got very sick and he prayed that the Lord would heal her. And when she died, he gave up faith and vowed never to have faith in the Lord again because of the death of his sister. And you think about how many people are not walking with the Lord right now because of disappointments. Circumstances often, God gives us a promise. And doesn't it seem sometimes that circumstances seem to say the absolute opposite of what God has promised? You know, this child shall be saved. And all of a sudden that child is worse than ever. You're just like, seriously, Lord? You know, I remember a time Brian and I were, we were not only no money. I mean, we were just paying off debts. And the Lord spoke to us and said, I, and he didn't speak to us. He spoke to me and I spoke to Brian. But the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm, I'm going to give you a RAV4 which is a Toyota and it's going to be white with cream um, leather upholstery. And I told this to Brian, he goes, Cheryl, that's a little far-fetched. I said, I know, but I'm telling you, every time I pray, I see this white RAV4 and he goes, okay, we don't have any money. We just got the other two cars paid off. I don't, I don't know what you're seeing. I'm like, okay, close your eyes and envision, you know, and he couldn't, but he said, all right, let's just go see. So we go to the, um, we go to the Toyota dealership and the man says, a RAV4, all I have is this one that was you know, up on the turnstile. This is on Harbor Boulevard. And he said, but I don't know if you want this one. It's got, they usually come with um, velour, but this one has leather interior and it's white on the outside. And I said, I wanna see it. So anyway, he said, well, actually this is a repo. So I can't sell it. I, I have to 
I can give you like a $10,000 discount. We're like, great, because <laughs> we don't have any money anyway. We just want to look at it. And he's like, well, give me your driver's licenses. I'll run it through and see if your credit's good enough. And he said, I can sell you this right now with zero down and no interest payments for two years. And we're like, okay. We bought the RAV4, the white RAV4 with the cream color interior. It was just absolutely amazing. So then I'm speaking at this um, Eastern European conference to these young people. And I tell them the story of the RAV4. Well, afterwards, I'm like, I am an idiot. These people don't even have cars. And I'm telling them, I got this promise of this white RAV4. And they don't even have shoes. And I'm thinking, I am an idiot. Why, why don't I just stick with my notes? So... Stussy and some other companies had sent over these huge boxes of clothing and shoes. And they set up this room. And these Ukrainian girls needed shoes and they needed suitcases and they needed clothes. And they looked at each other and they said, if God will give Cheryl a rap for, and we don't even know what that means, he will give us shoes. So they went into that room and they each found three pairs of shoes. They each found clothes that fit them perfectly. They're trying them on and they're coming out and they're going, look at my rap force, look at my rap force. And they came up to me the next day and were like, look at my rap force. It fits me perfectly, my rap force. And I was just like, oh, thank you, Jesus. You covered for me. It was just the most amazing thing. That God knows what we have need of and he keeps his promises, but sometimes disappointments because it's deferred, it's put off, delays, right? Oh, sometimes when the promise is put off, when it seems so close, you know, sometimes we can see the convergent of circumstances and say, this is it. It's so close. It's right here. This is exactly it. Yay. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I claim it. And then all of a sudden, it's put off and put off and put off. It's delayed. Or there's detours. There are those times when your life seems to be heading a certain direction. You can see the promise. And all of a sudden, it's, we have to take a detour. We can't go this way. We're going to be turning to the right. I'll never forget, I was um, driving up to see my children. I like to leave at 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning to go up to San Francisco, above San Francisco, to see my son. And I'm on the road, and all of a sudden, I get just past Westminster Mall, and there's a detour. And they reroute us all the way down Valley View to the five, then onto the five uh, to go up. And you're just thinking, am I ever going to be there? Especially just Valley View. It goes on forever and ever and ever and ever until it gets to the five. And you wonder, will there even be a five? Is there even a five freeway? And will, and will those minivans let me in? I call it the raceway of the minivans on the five. It seems like every minivan is on that freeway and they're all going over 100 miles an hour. I don't know who put the new engines in those minivans, but it was not a good idea. So there are detours. Sometimes when we pray, the situation seems to grow worse and everything that we thought, well, this is a possibility or this is a possibility is taken away. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever had that happen? 
I think that God is sometimes actually revealing everything that is keeping us from his promise, everything else that we're hoping in, but God himself. Then there's distance. Again, sometimes the promise seems so close. And then it seems like it's a little bit further away, then further, then further, then further. It keeps getting put off and put off and further and further away. And you wonder, will I ever see the fulfillment of this promise? In fact, sometimes you wonder, God, did you even really give me this promise? It's so far off. Will I live until this promise takes place? Then there are detractors. There are those around you who discourage your faith. There are ones that say, "Mm, did God really say that? Are you sure he said that? I mean, can you claim that? Or is that really just for Isaiah and his people? There are detractors. There are those who do not believe that God's promises, they they even call themselves Christians, but they do not believe that God's promises can be fulfilled today. They're actually people, I was reading this commentator and I was reading about Jesus calming the storm in Matthew chapter eight. And this commentator said, well, don't expect Jesus to calm your storms. He doesn't calm every storm. This is just to show his authority that he can. But if he can and he won't, why would he do that? But he shows us his authority so we know in every storm he will calm it if we ask. But there are those detractors who will tell you, mm-mm, mm-mm, you can't believe the promise. There's giants. You can't believe God's promise. There are deterrents. All the things that stand between you and the promises of God, maybe finances stand between, Lord, I don't know. How are you going to give that to me? We don't have the money for a RAV4. How are you going to do that? Lord, we don't have the money for this. You want this church. You want this church. When the Lord first showed my dad this property, they did not have the money to purchase it. And then the Lord provided enough for a down payment, which was just um, inadequate to the need. And yet they purchased it. Somebody came along and said, Chuck, I'll give you all the money for the property. You can build the church. And dad said, well, praise the Lord and thank you, brother. He went home and the Lord said, that's not how I want to build my church. You tell him, no, thank you. And my dad's like, but Lord, he said he would. And the Lord said, yes, and he would. And he would remind you of that. And it would be because of him and your dependency would be there. I want this to be a miracle. I want this to be me. My dad said, thank you, but no, thank you. God's going to provide it completely. And then they bought the property. They signed the contract and then Shell got in touch with them and said, could we buy that little corner of the property? And this is how much we will pay you. And that was enough to pay for the property and to start the finances for this building. And by the time this was completed, the church was already paid for. That's the Lord. But finances, are they a deterrent? What if, what if my father had said, well, I'm not going to get that land because I don't have the money. No, I'm not saying to be presumptuous. It's the opposite, opposite of presumptuous. It's following the Lord. You've got to make sure that you're following the Lord. But when you follow the Lord, in fact, it tells us in... In Psalm, in one of those really good Psalms, I think it's 65, it says that the paths of the Lord drip with abundance. If it's not 65, it might be 68. You find it. You make it yours. It was already mine. Now you make it yours. 
shortfalls or deficiencies. You know, and a shortfall or deficiency can be an inadequacy of any kind. It can be, I don't have the strength. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the know-how for this. The things that stood between Caleb and the promise, the wilderness, the rivers, the giants, even the people of Israel themselves and their unbelief. Death. Death can be definitely a deterrent. Watching those around you succumb to unbelief. I remember in high school having a company of godly girlfriends. We all love Jesus and then watching one of them just walk away from God. Just fully walk away from God. And not only did she walk away from God, but she got very um, passionate in her atheism and tried to dissuade me from walking with Jesus. Sometimes it's others who you hoped would be part of the promise. They move away or they go to heaven. That's, that's definitely a, a big move. But they move and, and they can't be part of the promise. And you were, when you envision the promise, you envision them in the promise. Uh, and, and the promise maybe changes and you're like, it's not going to be what I first envisioned it to be. But our faith in God's promises is often affected by just one of these factors. One of these factors, you can say, I had a promise, but because of disappointment, I gave it up. I had a promise, but because of delay, I gave it up. I had a promise, but because of a detour, I chose a different one. I had a problem, a promise, but it seemed so distant, so far in the future. I had one, but because of detractors and doubters. My daughter, my oldest daughter, was um, works with a woman. And she said to her the other day, Kristen, I used to be a Christian. I used to really believe in the Lord. But I married this man who was an atheist. And somehow I just let go of all of it. And I don't know when that happened. I know why I did it. I just wanted to please him. But I, I want my faith back. And I think maybe it was because of a deterrent. A husband that made it so hard to continue to believe. A friend that kept casting doubt on everything. Again, deterrence. These other things seem so much more powerful and palatable than the promise God gave me. And when that happens, we begin to doubt. We begin to question. Satan comes and says, did God really say? Did he really say? Just like he did to Eve. In Genesis 3.1, remember he went to a woman, gets you alone. Did God really say? Did he really say that? Are you taking it out of context? Really? To you? Did he say it? Is this promise really for me? And we do that with one of these factors. Imagine having all seven factors assailing your faith. All seven. Because that is exactly the situation with Caleb. After seeing the promise and coming so close to all that God promised, he was deferred from the promise. It was put off. Now, I know what that feels like because I was part of a Girl Scout troop. I was always citizen of the month. I went to public school. 
I was always citizen of the month. I got that. I, I had so many certificates. My mom's like, oh, another one. I just loved all my teachers. I wanted to please them. I sat in the front row. Yeah, one of those types with my hand folded. And if she said it's math time, I was like, yay, math. If she said it was science time, yay, science. You know, history, yay, history. You're the best teacher in the whole wide world. And I'm in it. I loved all my teachers. I even loved the one that was so mean who looked like a turtle. I loved her. You know, and I just... These are teachers, and I remember I was part of this really naughty Girl Scout troop. Really naughty. They would say, we're all going to go to Disneyland, and then it'd be, we can't go to Disneyland because you're not cooperating, you're not doing anything we say. So all our privileges kept being revoked. Nothing happened that they promised because of, and I can still remember their names, the girls who revoked all of our privileges. So all we got to do which was a privilege, was make cookies for the men serving in Vietnam. And so every time we come, we're like, this is it, more cookies. I finally just started paying my dues and not showing up at the meetings. I was the only one who was current with my dues, but I'd just be like, no, because we don't get to do anything in that troop. Just take my dues. Or how, remember when you were in school, this is going to be going way, way back. For me, it's like 50 years. But I remember being in class And we were waiting. You know how you just would watch the clock like it's almost time to go home and you're so excited when school is finally over. And then the teacher would be like, you have been uncooperative. You know you these kids that have been talking. Now everybody has to put their heads down and stay at their desk and I'm keeping you 15 minutes overtime. And you'd just be like, no, no. And you know, I remember being eight years old still to this day. And the teacher keeping us 15 minutes over time. And all I could think of was my mother in the car waiting for me going, where is my Cheryl? Will she never be out of class? You know, did she get kidnapped? And, you know, I knew my mom was a worrier and she'd be concerned. And by the time, I mean, the teacher during that 15 minutes had to come over and comfort me because I was sobbing so hard. My desk was all wet. And she's like, Cheryl, it's okay. But I try so hard to be good. And my mommy's in the car and she's going to think I'm dead. So I got to get out. But Caleb had to deal with all of those factors. And he even had distractions that came between himself and God's promise. Because we know that the girls in Midian came in with their idols and seduced the young men of Israel. So that many of them were slain before they could even cross the Jordan River. There were also distractions. But Caleb continued to believe and strengthened himself in faith until that day, 45 years later, when he walked up to Joshua and claimed the promise of God. What was the secret of Caleb's sustained faith? How how did he sustain this faith through all of these deterrents and distances and delays and detractors, distractions, disappointments? How did he do it? Well, we're told five times in the scripture that Caleb wholly followed the Lord. We're told in Numbers 14, 24, Caleb 
wholly followed the Lord. We're told it again in Numbers 32, 12, that Caleb wholly followed the Lord. We're told in Deuteronomy 1, 36, that Caleb wholly followed the Lord. We're told in Joshua 14, 9, that Caleb wholly followed the Lord. We're told again in Joshua 14, 14, that Caleb wholly followed the Lord. Why do you think we're told that? Because he wholly followed the Lord. Because it was true. This was the outstanding quality of Caleb's life. This distinguished him from all of his peers, from the fellow spies, with the exception of Joshua, from the other men of Israel. This was the distinguishing quality of Caleb's life. Had he received the promise right away, would he be able to demonstrate this faith? Would anyone else know that Caleb wholly followed the Lord? Would it be exemplified to Israel? Would Israel learn what it looked like to wholly follow the Lord? No, God used all of those factors to show the quality of Caleb's faith. That it was a faith that was passionate. That it was a faith that was persevering. That it was a faith that was permanent. He wholly followed the Lord. It was a faith that was not presumptuous. This quality so characterized his life that it sustained him. It sustained him through drought and deterrence and discouragement and distractions and wars and battles. It was a faith that strengthened him so that instead of aging, Instead of growing weaker, he became stronger and stronger and stronger while he waited for the promise. He, it strengthened him. And again, it singled him out. It distinguished him. Caleb embraced the promise, endured through to the promise, invoked the promise of God, and enjoyed the promise of God. In Joshua chapter 14, the chapter begins with Joshua and Eliezer, the priest, allotting the conquered land to the remaining nine and a half tribes of Israel. As you remember, Gad, Reuben, and half of Manasseh already got theirs on the other side. But now it's time for the other nine and a half tribes. Again, no allotment is given to Levi because they are to be spread throughout Israel to keep up the spiritual morality and worship of the whole nation. Allotments are chosen by lots, and this would be rocks that would be marked and cast out, and then they would count or reckon with the rocks. And this was a way that no one could say there was prejudice or bias, that they would know that it was the Lord, as it says in Proverbs 16.33, that the cast of the lot, what the lot determines, is determined by the Lord. But as the land is about to be divided, as it's starting, as there's this casting of lots, Caleb, along with the whole tribe of Judah, Approach Joshua at the camp of Gilgal. Notice that he is leading. Behind him is the whole tribe of Judah. Caleb at 85 is a passionate leader. He followed the Lord and guess what? Now others are following him. You see, when we wholeheartedly follow the Lord, others will follow. Others will imitate. Others will copy. Others will want what we 
what we are passionate about. And now we see that the whole tribe is unified behind Caleb, passionate about the promise. Caleb has a request and a reminder for Joshua. Caleb wants the mountain that he saw when he first spied out the promised land. He wanted it when he first saw the promised land. He saw this promise and he said, I want that promise. Oh, that's good. I like the fruit there. I like those grapes. I like those pomegranates. Caleb can cite the occasion, the time when he was 40 years old, the person who spoke it to him, Moses, where he was at Kadesh Barnea, the exact wording of the promise that was given him. He remembered what happened, and he remembered word for word what Moses had said to him. God had given Caleb a promise, and he waited 45 long years to claim it. He endured many delays, distractions, and disappointments, yet he didn't forget or let go of God's word to him. What was the secret to Caleb's faith? We are told over five times that he was a man who wholly followed the Lord. The same is true for us today. As we fix our eyes on Jesus and hold on to his word, we will be able to endure all that tries to separate us from our faith. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look further at waiting on the promises as we continue our Possessing the Promises series in the book of Joshua with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.